Good afternoon, and welcome to Bible Quest. I'm Jeff Smelser uh, in Exton, Pennsylvania, and today we're going to be talking about 1 Corinthians chapter uh, chapters 1 through 4. Uh, Chase Byers is joining us from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Good afternoon, Chase. Hey, Jeff. How are you today? I'm doing well. Drew, uh, Drew DeGrotto is going to be joining us. You, you who are regular viewers of this uh, know that he is the man behind the scenes and often joins us on screen. And today he is taking Joe Works place. Joe Works is going to be busy uh, for the next few weeks at this time. So glad to have you with us, Drew, from Honesdale, Pennsylvania. Glad to be here. And uh, that's a tough person to replace. <laughs> <laughs> well, we miss him. Um, but we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians today. And so we're going to throw 1 Corinthians here up on screen. And uh, we're just going to walk right through the text. And I guess I'll, I'll get us started here. And then uh, you guys chime in with anything you want. And, of course, to our viewers, if you have comments on the text you'd like to make, uh, send us a comment by way of the Facebook comment section. Uh, Drew, are you going to be keeping an eye on that for us? Yes, I'll be, I'll be monitoring all, all the comments and invite anyone to text them in or on your Q&A button or your chat button. Chat right. Button. If you're watching by way of BibleQuest.tv, you can use the Q&A icon there. And uh, so we'll get started in the text. Also, if, if you have questions about the text or somewhat related, they don't have to be directly related to the text here. But if it's a question that is um, brought to mind by the text, that's fine. We can talk about that. So First Corinthians chapter 1, you know what? I'm going to take just a moment uh, to remind folks that in Acts 18, we read the story of Paul first going to Corinth, and he meets Aquila and Priscilla there, Jews who had recently come from Italy, uh, but they were originally, at least he was originally from Pontus, and they've uh, come to Corinth, and they work in the tent-making trade, as did Paul. And so Paul, uh, he, he stays with them, and he begins preaching the gospel. And among the people who are mentioned in Acts chapter 18, people who become Christians as a result of Paul's efforts there, there is a uh, Crispus, a ruler of the synagogue. Uh, there is also uh, a man named Titus Justus, who is described as one who worshiped God, whose house was next to the synagogue. And Paul went to his house. There's also the mention of a Sosthenes. Uh, Sosthenes gets mentioned a little bit later in Acts chapter 18 when there's an uprising and Gallio, the proconsul, um, doesn't want to make anything of it. He tries to sell everything down. They decide the people who are instigating the uprising against Paul and against the Christians decide to beat Sosthenes, who's described as a ruler of the synagogue. But the fact that they were upset with Paul and the Christians, the, well, and then that leads them to beat Sosthenes, what would that suggest about Sosthenes? That he was a Christian. Yeah. And so it's interesting that when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it starts out and says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. I don't know that I can prove that it's the same Sosthenes, but it sure seems likely in that uh, Sosthenes is a man that the church in Corinth would have known. Where's Paul when he writes this letter? Ephesus, right? I believe so. Mm -hmm. He's in Ephesus, and he's on his way back to Corinth when he writes this letter. And he says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who've been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul often starts out his letters identifying himself, uh, identifying those to whom he writes, 
and saying something like grace and peace uh, from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but he refers to the people he's writing to here as saints, holy ones. A little bit and, different from the way we open up our letters normally, right? It is. It is a little different. But it's not all that different from the way they routinely began their letters in those days. Typically, in the first century, writing in Greek, you would first of all identify yourself, and then you would identify those to whom you were writing, and you might uh, give some descriptives, uh, some adjectives describing them as honorable or noble or something like that. And then you might say something like kairite, uh, something like uh, rejoice or greetings. Um, what Paul does in his greetings, he takes a form of that. And of course, grace is from the word charis. And then he has the words peace, which was a, a word that was typically used in Oriental, Eastern writings, in Eastern uh, communications. And he puts those two, but grace and peace uh, in the context of the gospel of Jesus Christ, well, it's by the grace of God, his favor, which is what grace means, that a sacrifice has been made that makes it possible for us to be at peace with God, uh, even though we were enemies with God or against God by virtue of our sin. All right, so somebody want to pick it up with verse four? Sure. How far do you want me to read? Just to the end of the verse 10 there? Yeah, I wouldn't go past verse 10. In fact, you can stop sooner if there's a point that you want to make. Okay. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Uh, one thing, guys, as I read through this that I notice right off the bat is how many times Paul invokes the name of Jesus as he opens up his letter here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's important. There's another thing right there in verse 5, that in everything you were itched in him in all speech, or some translations say all utterance and knowledge, uh, and then verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift. Uh, when he talks about speech and knowledge here, <clears throat> I think that given what Paul ends up talking about later on in the letter, he talks about the gift of knowledge. And you think about speech in the context of speaking in tongues and prophesying. And so when he says you were enriched in all speech and in all knowledge, and in verse seven, you are not lacking in any gift and in any gift, he is already here alluding to the fact that the Corinthians were richly blessed with spiritual gifts. And there's an irony in that because while on the one hand, they had the, the working of the Holy Spirit among them in a very profound way, uh, a prolific way, all the spiritual gifts that they had. He's going to end up having to rebuke them as being carnal and not spiritual. And, and so that's something that's worth noting, and we'll just anticipate it here. We're going to see it again in chapter 3. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes the more that we have, the more challenges we have with those things that we've been given. That's right. And also, just to, to hit this with a hammer— the Holy Spirit could work through people even if they were not living rightly before God. Um, so a lot of times people in modern times have thought that, well, if they have the gifts of the Spirit, 
uh, and, and of course, we'll ha we'd have to discuss some time about whether there's speaking in tongues today. I don't believe there, there is, not miraculously. But people who think they have that, they think that that's, that's a, a sign that they're saved and they're right with God. Uh, no, not necessarily. But Paul does thank God for the Corinthians, and he does say in verse uh, 7, waiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So even though he's going he's to highlight a lot of problems in the church at Corinth, he has a positive outlook for them. Um, of course, they're going to have to respond to some of his teaching. Anything else in these first 10 verses, guys? we got to get verse 10. Nope. Well, in verse 10, he says, uh, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Why does he say that? Well, apparently there's divisions there, but he doesn't go into any of that discussion yet. He starts just dropping the... Well, the, he... he but he does pretty quickly. You're right. Well, yeah. first, of all, first of all, he says, I pray there be no divisions. And, and then he's going to get to those divisions. Oh, I'm thinking that was even another chapter next chapter. You're right. He does get yeah. right to it. Yes, he right does. There, 11. Sure. Uh, so take us, Drew, take us through some of this here. Sure. Uh, verse 11. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by closed people, that there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am a Paul and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. So in other words, what they're saying is they're following those names, or they're, they're identifying with those people, those individuals, right? Yeah, they're identifying with these particular individuals to the extent that there are divisions among them. It's kind of a rivalry, it sounds like. Mm. I'm a Paul. Well, I'm of Apollos, and uh, Apollos was a more eloquent speaker. Well, I'm of Cephas, and he was one of the apostles long before Paul was ever an apostle. And, you know, I don't know exactly what they're saying, but I'm just giving examples. The re reason I mentioned it up, because I was just riding up through one of the country roads up here, and I noticed the church sign. There's a lot of churches in the area. And it says, Church of St. Anne. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what they were doing. They were identifying with this so-called St. Anne, this woman. I don't know who she was or what, but, okay, he says here, and some of you actually saying, I of Christ. Then he says, has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or you were, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I yeah, think Paul's there. Paul's there. Yeah. So obviously, there's a divisive spirit. And Paul's trying to say, hey, I wasn't baptized for you. Uh, or, or you were not baptized in my name, I should say. I didn't say that correctly. Uh, you were not baptized in my name. Uh, so, so don't divide up after this man, that man. But why does he say, okay, let's use our new annotation tool here that we were playing with. All right. Why does he say, some say, I am of Christ. Why does he include I am of Christ in the context of, of a divisive spirit where one says I'm of Paul and another says I have Apollos and another says I have Cephas. Don't we want to be of Christ? Well, I think we do, or I don't think we do. I know we want to be of Christ, but I think this is still one of the ways in which they're being divided because some might have the right idea, whereas the others have the wrong idea. Sure, and I don't know for certain, but I wonder if a wrong idea in saying I'm of Christ, uh, remember he goes straight to, were you baptized in the name of? I'm not doing a very good job here. But <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's try to square box thing. 
Yeah, okay, we'll try the square box thing. Let's see, where's the square box thing? Under four, or, uh, yeah. Were you baptized in the name of somebody? Um, and of course, he says, were you baptized in the name of Paul? And, but then he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you. We'll, we'll talk more about that. But perhaps uh, the rivalries were not just, I buy into Apollos' leadership, but Apollos is the one who baptized me. Well, Paul baptized me. And then somebody says, well, Christ baptized me. You'll remember back in John, the fourth chapter, after it talked about John's baptism, John the Baptist, it says in John, the fourth chapter, when the Pharisees saw that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. And then it explains, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. Nonetheless, it was his, at his direction so that somebody could say, well, I was baptized of Christ. You know, I, and there could be people traveled in these days. Sometimes we lose sight of the extent to which people traveled, but it's not unlikely that there were people in Judea who could have ended up in Corinth. Um, and, uh, you know, Aquila and Priscilla, we mentioned them part of the beginning of the church at Corinth. They weren't from Corinth. They had, they come from Pontus, which is over in Turkey by way of Italy to Greece. So they'd gone from Pontus, which is east of Greece, to Italy, which is west of Greece, now to Corinth, and then later on they're going to travel to Ephesus and then back to, uh, um, did they go back to Rome or Corinth? Now I can't remember what Paul says in Romans 16. But nonetheless, it just illustrates the fact people get around. Does that make sense to you guys? It's possible there were people saying, well, I was baptized by Christ, so I'm better than you? Possibly. I, I don't know that I could prove it, but I wonder. I'll make the point too. It is kind of ironic the way that this comes full circle, that this very thing that they're doing, this making divisions among themselves and having, you know, saying, well, so-and-so possibly so-and-so is over me, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Is that not the very thing that the 12 disciples themselves were struggling with whenever they were under authority and under his command while he was on the earth? Mm -hmm. I mean, over and over again, Jesus is having to deal with them, making divisions among themselves. And now here are the 12, and I, re- I, re- I realize Paul is not an original 12, but here Cephas and the others are now having to deal with the churches making divisions among themselves. I and think it's, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I didn't realize you weren't done. No, and I was just going to, I was going to make another point. So you go ahead. Well, all right. I will just because we've got to move along here. I think it's interesting, Paul. I thank God, this is verse 14 right here. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Real quickly, Crispus, he was mentioned back in Acts 18, one of the early converts. Uh, But Paul says, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you. And and, and the point is, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Uh, But then he says, well, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. And then he says, Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized any other. Uh, do you guys forget who all you baptized? I do. Yeah, yeah I, I have to think about it. <laughs> I think this is kind of a testimony to the fact that it really doesn't matter who baptizes you. That's kind of the point Paul's getting at. But if it were really important that I be baptized by a certain person, then you'd think, well, I, they'd keep records. You know, Paul would know who he baptized. But clearly in this context, it does not matter who baptizes you. What matters is the person being baptized. Is he putting to death the old man? Has he, has he believed in Jesus Christ? Is he, has he repented of his sins? Is he turning his life over to, to Jesus Christ and ready to start a new life with Christ as Lord? 
And as Paul will say, his purpose was bab- or was to preach, not to baptize. Baptism's going to come, but his purpose was to preach the gospel message. Right, right. Well, that was where I was going to ask the question of Jeff and you, Chase. I've heard it say that right there, uh, verse 16, proves that baptism is not necessary. So you guys that are going around trying to baptize people, you look at Paul. So obviously, Paul is going to say later on in this letter, all the Corinthians had been, the, to whom he's writing, they've been baptized into Christ, into the one body. So obviously it's important. But as Paul says here, I didn't come to baptize, but to preach the gospel. You know, if you just went around offering to baptize people and you attach no significance to it, you didn't tell them, here's, here's the commitment you have to be making. You just went door to door offering to baptize people. You could probably baptize several people, but all you'd be doing is getting them wet. And so Paul says, I didn't come to baptize people. I came to preach the gospel. And yeah, that, yeah. he's going to leave that to the others. He's coming to preach the gospel, and that includes the immersion into water for the forgiveness of sins. We got a question, Jeff, um, from Karen Gimmond. How early was this letter written? Was the group Jews and Gentiles, and did that lead to the discord? Well, so it does appear there were Jews and Gentiles in the group. Um, Of course, back there in Acts 18, you have some uh, Jews mentioned among the early converts. Uh, You have Crispus and Sosthenes uh, that have already been mentioned. Um, but we do see evidence of some Gentiles. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, the eighth chapter, those who want to go down to the idol temple and participate in the sacrifices of the idol temple. And he talks about some who are just, uh, how does he say it in 1 Corinthians 8? Um, in, uh, let's see, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And verse 10, for if a man see you whose knowledge sitting at meat in an idol's temple will not his conscience, if he's weak, be emboldened to eat things sacrificed to idols. Um, looking for the phrase that I, oh, verse seven, how be it there's not in all men that knowledge, some being used until now to the idol, eat is of things sacrificed to an idol. So clearly we have both Jews and Gentiles who are used to sacrificing to idols in the group here. Whether that accounts for all of the division, I doubt that totally accounts for it. could be part of it. What was the rest of the question? Uh, what, how early was the letter written, and did, did some of that Jewish-Gentile stuff lead to the discord was the question. Yeah, so off the top of my head, and I've, I've worked this up several times, and, and people are going to come up with various dates but off the top of my head, I'm wanting to say it's between 53 and 55 that First Corinthians is written. It's when he's in Ephesus on his second journey, which is described in Acts the 19th chapter. If one of you guys wants to come up with that date, I may be a little bit off. And depending on, you know, we have a better understanding of these dates uh, since a since a um, inscription. Um, referring to the Gallio mentioned in Acts chapter 18, since that inscription was found, we have a better understanding of these dates. So sometimes if you go back to a writing, a work that was done in the, in the 1800s, you'll find a different date than if you um, rely on works that were done in the latter part of the. I'm saying 52 AD. When you've got, what year do you have? Uh, or no, sorry, 55 or possibly 56. 55 or 56 for the writing of first. That's what I have also, for, and then he wrote it from Ephesus. Okay. All right. Well, we, we are not going to get all the way through chapter four if we don't move along. One of the things he does real quickly here as he responds to this 
this tendency to say, I'm a follower of this man, I'm a follower of that man. He talks about the wisdom of men. And that's a fundamental problem. If I think that, well, I'm a follower of Apollos, and somebody else, well, I'm a follower of Paul, we're not realizing that the power is in the word that is from God, not in this man's rendition of it or his wisdom about it. And uh, so, so Paul is, and, and that putting their trust in wisdom is not an unnatural thing for people who lived in Corinth. Corinth is not that far from Athens. Uh, a couple of weeks, I'm going to get to be in Athens and, and in Corinth on the same day. Um, and so they're not that far apart. And Athens, what is ancient Athens famous for? Football, right? <laughs> 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 well, uh, well. <laughs> the game, there were games involved in Athens, though. There were there were games at, in uh, near Corinth, uh, the Isthmian Games. Yeah. But um, what Athens is especially known for is the great philosophers, people like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, right. wisdom. And so it's not it's not surprising that people in Corinth would be fascinated with the wisdom of one man or another. Well, let's see here. Um, if I can get my cursor to work, um, I don't know why. I'm going to stop sharing, and then I'm going to reshare and see if I can get this to work so that we can advance the screen. Um, oh, I see what the problem is. I've got to go to the. I've actually got to go to the screen. Well, I don't know what you guys are seeing, but I'm bouncing You're around. You're seeing all your whole PowerPoint thing. That's all right. <laughs> all right. Where is my PowerPoint? Uh, here we go. All right. So we'll go to, to the second to the second part of this chapter now. Um, but you're not sharing your screen now. Oh, there you go. It's coming up. All right. So Paul says, uh, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? You remember in Acts 17, before Paul got to Corinth the first time, he was in Athens and he was having conversations with uh, various philosophers, Stoics, and I think Epicureans are mentioned, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think you're and, right. And, uh, and they, the, the Luke has a little note in Acts 17, 21. It says, now all the Athenians and the strangers sojourning there spent their time in nothing else but to either tell or to hear some new thing. Mm-hmm. They've got these philosophers sitting around debating various philosophies, and Corinth is not very far from Athens. So Paul says, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Pick it up there, somebody. Verse 21, go till you want to stop. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. Well, guys, why is that? Why is it a stumbling block to the Jews, but to the Gentiles it's foolishness? I, I, I suppose that, and you tell me if you have a different thought, but to the Jews, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the Messiah, is this man who was a relatively poor man, got convicted and condemned as a common criminal and died on a cross. Whereas what the Jews wanted was evidence of a victorious, conquering Messiah, a king who would come in, throw off Roman oppression, Roman rule, and give them their glorious kingdom in an earthly way back. 
they were looking for signs of such a Messiah as that. And so the idea that, well, this Jesus who died on the cross is your Messiah, that was just something they would stumble over. Well, yeah, they would stumble because it was in uh, uh, one, one or two places in the Old Testament. It says that any man hung on a cross is cursed. So they, they believed the scriptures. The scriptures said God cursed them. And that, so they, they're, they're struggling. How can this be the Messiah if God curses this guy, Jesus, up on a cross? And then you think about the idea that to the Gentiles, it's foolishness. Paul is preaching the resurrection of the dead, Jesus being raised from the dead, and that in him we have a hope of resurrection from the dead. And again, turning to Paul's visit to Athens just before he got to Corinth, uh, here's the description of the reaction among the Greeks to Paul's preaching. Verse 32 of Acts 17 says, When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. There were others who said, we'll hear thee concerning this yet again, but there were people who just mocked that idea. You know, uh, how can you reverse death? I mean, once you go into the grave, it's over. There's nothing else. And that's their, their, their concept of, of life and no more afterlife. So this is foolishness. But then verse 24 says to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And doesn't that just put us in our place? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. So it, then, of course, verses 26 down through the end of the chapter painted a contrast between the kind of people who respond to the gospel and those who don't, and those who don't are not generally the mighty, the noble, in worldly ways. People who are mighty, noble, in worldly ways often, not always, are people who put a, uh, a uh, premium on being mighty and noble in worldly ways. And so, um, so that's, not gonna, that's not the kind of person who is going to find the gospel appealing. All right, did we have another question there? It looked like we had uh, one of our viewers raising a hand to uh, submit a question or something. Did we have a viewer? Yeah. Let me, Rose, did you want to come in and actually give us an audio question? If so... Uh, Jeff, you're going to have to do that. Well, okay, how do I do that? Let's see. Well, if I can... Make sure that's what she's wanting before you just bring yeah, it in. Yeah, Rose, is that what you want? Rose, we want to make sure <laughs> before we embarrass you. <laughs> well, let... While we're waiting for her to confirm that, because she's leaving it there, or maybe she's like, oh, you know what? She might not know how to undo it. So if you can undo the hand. I can't even see the hand now. It disappeared. I see it. Uh... Maybe she can send it. Maybe she can send a comment through the Q and A and let us know. Yeah, hit hit the Q and A box, uh, Rose, and let us know. Yeah, you want to ask a question on the audio, and then okay. Jeff can bring you in. All right. Uh, if I can figure out how to do that, we we talked about doing that. We've never actually done it before. Yeah, next to Rose's name, there's a thing here. It says. Uh, Got it. Got it. All right. Here we go, Rose. I'm going to let you come in here. All right, Rose. Say something if you're there. You got to uncheck that the uh, microphone, or she has to uncheck it. One of you have to uncheck the microphone. All right, well, let's let's move along. I don't know what happened there, but I, I when I try to uncheck it, it, it won't let me. Okay, yeah, she's. I think she has the the power to do that. All right, uh, let's go on to chapter two. Uh, let's move on to chapter two here, um, and I'm going to have to go through my little process here again. Uh, it seems like this is awfully clunky today. It seems like I'm not doing something right, but we'll, we'll get through it. Okay, so we go to chapter two. Uh, Chase, why don't you start us in there? Sure. 
And when I came to you, my uh, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. What you have Paul doing here is really making it clear to them what his motives were. Uh, they were pure. They, he had good intentions and in wanted to teach and preach to them. He makes the point that I'm not one of these modern philosophers that comes in with fancy speech and whatnot. But rather, he says, I am somebody who came in to just preach about Jesus and him crucified. And so reiterating his sincerity. And when he says, uh, my words were not in persuasive words of wisdom, or my preaching was not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Again, this is an allusion to the the the. Uh, miraculous signs. Paul will later on talk about uh, how he had the, he he um, manifested the signs of an apostle. When Paul went to Ephesus in Acts 19, it makes a point of the miracles that he was able to do, the healings and that kind of thing. What was that about? That was to demonstrate the power of God so that people could know this is a messenger from God. And so what he's saying is is God's word. So demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Remember, Jesus promised the apostles back in Acts chapter 1, they would receive power from on high. Uh, the, the power that the apostles and many other Christians in the first century had was when they could do a miracle, thus vouching for the fact, vouching for their claim to be speaking by revelation. And so you could know, oh, this is the word of God. This is not just the wisdom of a man. All right, let's go on. Verse 6. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, in which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. So I think the point here is, it ties into what's been said already. The wisdom of man is not going to attain unto the mysteries of God. You're not going to know the things of God by human wisdom. If you want to know the things of God, it's going to have to come by revelation from God. Uh, and by faith, And by faith in his word. Yeah. And so now Paul's going to develop this thought, and let's advance the, the reading here just a little bit to this next section. And um, so he says, he gives an illustration in verse 11. Uh, Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man is in him? So let's do a little test here, and let's invite our viewers. All right, uh, I'm going to start thinking something. In fact, I'm going to stop my share so that you all can see my face and I'm going to start thinking something right now. Know, there is probably about a 15-second delay, so we need to give them that time. A 15-second delay. Okay. On, so you got, on Facebook. On Facebook, there's a on Facebook. Okay. So, so you got a few seconds here. Tell me, tell me what I'm thinking about. Tell me what I – okay, right now I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I'm looking right at the camera. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. 
I, I, can yeah. I guess two? Yeah. yeah. You're thinking about what you're going to eat for supper. No, nope, no, nope, it's not it. Chase, right, that's not it. a dog. A, a dog? Yeah. Nope, that's not it. Any of our viewers know what I'm thinking? No, of course nobody knows what I'm thinking. Why? Well, it's because of what was just said right here in this text, right? Right? Let's get the annotation here. Um, I really need some training in this annotation business here. All okay. right. Right there. Uh, man knows the thoughts of man, except the spirit of the man is which is in him. I'll tell you what I was thinking about. I was thinking about Jalen Hurts' fantastic performance in the first two games for Oklahoma in uh, their first two games this year. Nobody knew that. Even so, the thoughts of God, uh, no one knows except the spirit of God. Well, where does he go from there? Verse 12. Now, now we have received okay. not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to, to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But that means the mystery is revealed. Yeah. So this ties in with the whole thing about the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man. You, you have, or even the foolishness of God, which is greater than the wisdom of man. The wisdom of man is not going to attain to the things of God. And man cannot know what God is thinking unless God reveals it. The spirit of God knows the things of God. And so the Spirit of God has communicated to Paul and the other writers of the New Testament, the other prophets and apostles, the mind of God. And they would demonstrate that fact by the, the miracles they could do, demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And so then you could say, okay, when Paul is preaching, he's not just talking about something like Aristotle did or Socrates did or Plato did, something he's thought about a lot and figured out. No, he is, he is talking about what has been revealed to him uh, by the Spirit of God. You know, there's a thought here. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I just don't think God would. How many times have you heard somebody say that? Yeah. Well, I think yeah. God wants. I don't think God would do this or that. No, I, don't, I don't think that a loving God that I read about would send someone to hell. I don't think that God uh, wants me to be unhappy. I think that God would be okay with this. In all those kinds of comments, what we're doing is we're assuming we can know what God thinks uh, apart from what God has said. And we can't. And that's a point that's being made here. But the next paragraph is very impressive, dealing exactly with your point. Can I finish it? Yep. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. And this is, this is the, the key verse for me. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's an awesome statement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. we, can have, we don't have to guess. I think the Lord will be happy with. We don't have to guess. We have the mind of Christ if we read what Paul wrote. So you see this thread running all through here of a contrast between putting, putting emphasis upon a man, this man, I'm going to follow this man or that man, or what he says or what the other guy says, as opposed to the revelation that comes from God. Now we move on and we get into chapter three. I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men 
but as to men of flesh. And just after he's talked about it's the spiritual man who can discern these things and understand these things, not the man who's hung up on his own fleshly desires. And then he turns around and he says, you know, but, but you Corinthians, I'm having to talk to you as men of flesh, or another translation says as carnal. Ouch. As in Christ. Yes, ouch. <laughs> I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, but you're not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able, for you're still fleshly. For since there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? What's the jealousy and the strife referring to? Uh, I'm of Apollos, or he's of Paul. and Exactly. So not only are they making a mistake in putting all this credence in what one man says as opposed to what another man says, it's leading them to jealousy and strife, rivalries, factions among them. And that's a disastrous. And, that, and I want to remind us ourselves, he's talking to Christians. Yep, talking to Christians. Verse 4, when one says, I'm of Paul, another, I'm of Apollos, are you not mere men? The New American Standard adds the word mere here. I'm not sure if the idea is, going back to verse 2, you are men of, or verse 1, you are men of flesh. Let me see, if is my cursor showing up? Yes. Oh, okay, well, I won't annotate them. Well, I will, I've got it now. I'm not sure if he's tying together uh, this idea of being men of flesh with mere men. In other words, uh, you're, you're behaving in a fleshly way. Or if he's saying, are you not men similar to what Cornelius said when he came to the house? Uh, I mean, what uh, Peter said when he came to the house of Cornelius and Cornelius fell down to worship him and said, and, and Peter said, uh, I am also a man. Uh, I'm a man like you are. And so maybe Paul is saying, you know, you're men, Paul, Apollos and I, we're men. You're like us. Don't exalt us. Yeah. Are you not simply men? Are you, are you not just men? Um, might be some similar ideas. There. Well, so I guess the two different ideas, uh, you're, you're being just men of flesh or the other idea is, Hey, you're men as much as we are. And right. I'm not sure which is the point, but what he does go on to do, he says, uh, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? And he says, we're what? Servants are whom you believed. And, and put the emphasis on the word servants. We're, we're not lords, we're servants. Some translations say ministers here. The word minister in religious circles has been given kind of an exalted status, tone, whereas the word translated minister just means servant. And so Paul says, we're just servants. And then he talks about the particular work that each of them did. What did Paul do and what did Apollos do? One planted, Paulus watered, but God is the actual one that does the, the, the growth. So in Acts 18, you read about Paul going to Corinth and, and preaching the gospel. And then at the very end of Acts chapter 18, you read about after Paul has left, Apollos goes to Corinth. And so Paul planted, Apollos watered. Or another way to say it is, uh, Paul laid a foundation and Apollos built on the foundation. And Paul, uh, Paul here is going to move from that agricultural analogy to the architectural analogy, I guess you could say. Yeah, and we see Paul doing this with many others in the New Testament. We see him doing it with Timothy, where Paul will work and help establish a church there in Ephesus. And then by the time he writes First Timothy, we see Timothy is working with the church in Ephesus and even appointing more elders than, than what were already there. Mm -hmm. And so Timothy's continuing that work, and the same thing goes for Titus and Crete. So then we come to verse 10, and it says, According to the grace of God, which was given to me, 
like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, another is building on it. Uh, so Apollos built on the foundation Paul laid. Uh, each man must be careful how he builds on it. Start there. Drew, you want to go start in verse 11? For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Okay, so let's, let's pause there. Um, what about verse 12? What's he talking about here? The good, the gold, the cereals. I can't get the words out today. What's he talking about? Well, maybe there's different materials that people are using on the foundation, but th here we're talking about people. So could this be uh, different individuals who you've been teaching? Yeah, I think so. And, and then he's going to talk about it's proven or it's going to be revealed what it is when the fire comes. So you think about the, the, the effect of fire upon gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. Gold, silver, precious stones, that can survive fire. But wood, hay, and straw, what's going to happen to that when fire comes? It's going to burn. And so, you know, when we preach the gospel and people become believers and they're baptized into Christ, uh, it's, it's a great joy when you see those people grow and mature so that a difficulty comes along. Their, their faith is really tested. They have to forego some family relationship. They have to quit a job or something because of their faith. And they're willing to do that because their faith is all important. That fire, that test is proving them to be gold, silver, precious stone. Other times it's very disappointing somebody you've taught and you've baptized and you've tried to nurture them and a difficulty comes along and they're just, it, it's not worth it to them and they fall away and they prove to be wood, hay or straw. I think that's what this is saying. And I this, think yeah, it, follows, it follows up there with that, uh, that concept in verse 14. He says, if any man's work, which he has built on, it remains, he will receive reward. That's the joy that you're talking about. Sure. If any man work burned up, in other words, that person fell away. He will suffer loss. You, the individual person who taught him, will, will feel the pain of that, but you won't be lost. He says, but he will himself be saved, yet so is through fires. That, I think that's the concept you're talking about. I think that's the idea. Yeah, I think that's the idea. Uh, I, I, I don't know if you wanted to get get, get going. We're, we're getting close to time, but this is an interesting concept. Whether they're Jews or Gentiles, he says, do you not know that you are a temple of God? They're both both uh, cultures are familiar with the temple, and they worship the, the pagans worship in their temple their god false gods. The Jew worship God Jehovah in the temple, so they're looking at the temple as their place to worship God. But he's saying, you, these Christian, you people, are mm -hmm. the temple, or mm -hmm. a temple, I should say, of God, mm -hmm. and the Spirit yeah. is dwelling in you. Instead of you walking into that temple and you're going in there, and God dwells there. God's dwelling in you. That's an amazing concept. Yep. Uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, so let's do it this way. I was trying to advance the screen and I, I lost my, um, where am I? <laughs> you lost your way. I am, I am totally, there we go, right there. All right. Now I can't find my Zoom app and get back in the, okay, here we go. Right, obviously, we need some practice here. I need some practice to smooth this all out. Uh, verse 18, let no man deceive himself. If any among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. Um, and so on. 
Any thoughts you want in the end of chapter three here before we try to get a one minute um, summary of chapter four? Go for no, it. Take it away, Jeff. All right, let's go to chapter four. One minute. All right. All right. So chapter four. Um, we we really just have time for one or two thoughts in chapter four. So there's what what is it that jumps out to you? Whatever it is in chapter four, let's hit it. Ooh. I'll tell you. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Chase. Well, oh, I thought it was okay. Go ahead, Chase. I did not say a word. So, Jeff, oh, go ahead. <laughs> well, let me let me just jump right to the end of chapter four here. Here's the thing that I would like to note if I can get to it quickly enough. I got to stop the share and find my PowerPoint. There it is. And then I've got to start the share. Obviously, I've got to do something different with this if we do this again. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's not it. Well, let's see. It's down in toward the end of the chapter where he says... Well, when you're in your slides, you can just advance your slides, can't you? I would think so, but it's not working. Usually, well, if you're focused on PowerPoint, hit your arrow, your right arrow. Well, here we are. Okay. Uh, uh, okay. All right. So it's, it's right, it's right um, here. Uh, he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ just as I teach everywhere in every church. As you get to the end of this section, one of the things Paul says is, I'm not saying something unique to you Corinthians. And Timothy's not going to teach something unique to you. And he will say this a few times in the book of 1 Corinthians. That what he's teaching is the same thing he teaches in every church. And that's interesting because of all the letters in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians is the one that we so often hear people dismiss one teaching or another, whether it's about homosexuality, whether it's about women speaking in the assembly, whether it's about the relationship between men and women, they'll dismiss it saying, well, that's probably just something that Paul was saying to the church at Corinth because of some particular circumstance there. That's just something that was in Greece. That was something that was needed in that locale or that region or that area. No, Paul says, I'm telling you the same thing I teach in every church. All right, I guess we're out of time, guys. Um, Sorry to our watching audience, our viewing audience, for the ineptness with which I proceeded through the PowerPoint. But uh, hope, hopefully that study was a little bit helpful to you. Oh, you were fine. You were fine, Jeff. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. See you next week. Lord willing. Bye-bye.